So when I preach on this, I'm, te- I'm preaching what I do, right? I, I'm preaching on what I've seen work. So don't come to me and say it doesn't work because it works. If, you're not, if it doesn't work, you're not working it. These principles of God aren't something that we just try. These principles of God become part of who we are. And I know that you have a desire to give. You know why I know you have a desire to give? Because the nature and character of God is in you, and God's a giver. So you have that desire in you. I just want you to awaken to it. I just want you to put faith to it and know that God's going to provide for you because he is our provider. Sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. This is, a good, this is good news this morning, guys. You can smile. It's all right. Uh, sowing and reaping. You know, as a pastor with a church that depends on the generosity of people, I fully understand that not all Christians believe in sowing and reaping. And it's just a fact. It's just a fact. But just because you don't believe it doesn't mean that it's not true. Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean that the principle does not work. The principle works. And God has woven this principle into the fabric of creation. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, verse 26, he says, And he, Jesus, was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He, he himself does not know. You don't have to know how it works. It's a principle. You don't need to know how gravity works to know that you shouldn't step off the roof of a building. You don't know, have to know how the law of lift works to take a vacation on an airplane. You don't need to know how it works. It just works. There are laws that God has put into, the principles and laws that God has put into creation that work. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This tells us that there's seed time, there's growth time, and then there's harvest. It's a process. In Genesis, God tells us in verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and the fruit trees of the earth bearing fruit and their kind with the seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, the trees bearing fruit with seed in them. And their kind. And God saw that it was good. Isn't it interesting that seed produces its kind? Right? Isn't it amazing that you can't mix animals? If it's a horse, it only can produce the species of a horse. A donkey and a mule, they're both species of a horse. But you can't take a lion 
and breed it with a horse because it's not like seed. Isn't that interesting? It has to be like seed. Plants, animals, humanity is dependent on seed to reproduce, flourish, to prosper. Plants, animals, and humanity all depend on seed. If it wasn't for the seed, we couldn't reproduce as human beings. Everything in the earth is dependent on seed. Look at what God told Noah after the flood. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, it says, While the earth remains seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. It's interesting, this is the first time that summer and winter is mentioned. So I just wonder what happened up until this point. There's cycles, God's saying. There's cycles in the earth. There's principles. There's going to be cold. There's going to be heat now. There's going to, there's going to be winter. There's going to be summer. Just like there's the cycle of the sun and the moon, it all works together and seed time and harvest time is a cycle and it will continue as long as the earth exists. But not only does this principle cover natural things, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that, that there is a principle in this earth. God created a principle in this earth that he wove it into the fabric of his creation of seed and harvest. But it's also woven into spiritual things. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Now the promise, promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to his seed, seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed. So he's saying that this promise was spoken to Abraham, and this promise wasn't about all the seeds from Abraham. It was about one seed. Because all the seeds from Abraham were corrupt, and they produced a co corrupt crop of human beings. You get that. But there's one seed that the promise was to. There was a promise made to Abraham that this one seed was going to come and it was going to bring the blessing of God on all nations. And that one seed was Christ. Amen. See, the seed of Abraham, Jesus... Jesus was the seed of promise in whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. This morning, you're blessed this morning. You want to know why? Because of the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham. Jesus was planted into the earth and resurrected to new life. The Bible calls him the first fruits. The first fruits of God's redemption to all humanity. God sowed himself because of the hope of the harvest. And each one of us sitting here today is the harvest on that seed he sowed. Jesus is the seed that contains the promise of Abraham. Abraham. 
That is why the seed of Christ must be planted in our hearts so that we can come alive in him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living, enduring word of God. So you are born again because of seed. The seed of Christ. The word of God. The word that became flesh. The living word of God. And it's not the seed from fallen humanity. It's not some corruptible seed. It's incorruptible. And you have been born again to new life. You know, you pick up an acorn off the ground. It doesn't look like much. But inside that acorn is everything that is needed to produce that mighty oak tree. That's amazing to think. And do you know that when you were born again from that incorruptible seed, the living word of God, when you were born again, that everything that you needed to be like Jesus was in that seed. Seeds produce after like, right? So when you were born again, you were born again on the inside just like Jesus. And everything that you're going to ever need, all the promises of Abraham are in that seed, and they're in you. How many of you know that sometimes plants grow up stronger than others? That plants can be hindered, right? And sometimes, and it's not necessarily the storms of life that hinder growth process. A lot of times, when, when, a, when a tree goes through um, a dry season, when a tree goes through storms, it actually gets stronger. The roots go down deeper. It, it, it gets, it's, it's beneficial for the, for the tree. Why? Because the tree has everything in it, and it's programmed to do everything it needs to do to survive. And you have everything in you that you need to survive any storm. You have everything in you to be able to grow and to produce a harvest. It's all in you now. You're not trying to get it. I can't believe how long I've been preaching that you've already got it. Everything, the gospel declares it's all done in Christ Jesus. And still I hear people saying, that speaking in a way that it's out there. I got to go get it. That's religion. You don't have to go get anything. You, people say goofy stuff like, oh my, you know, it just feels like my prayers aren't even reaching the ceiling. They're hitting the ceiling and they're not going any farther. You know what? Your prayers don't get it, have to get any higher than the, roof, the, the bottom of your nose because God's in you. God's in you. We have a direct line to God. And we need to start seeing that. We got, we got to start seeing that the Spirit itself bear, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have to see that the Spirit itself, when we, even when we don't know how to pray, we have the ability with groanings and moanings to pray the perfect will of God. We have everything in us 
The acorn had everything in it. The, the apple seed had everything in it. The, the pear seed had everything in it. The orange seed had everything in it. The watermelon seed had everything in it. And in Christ Jesus, the seed, the living word of God, it has everything you need. And that's exactly what Galatians tells us. Look what Galatians goes on to say in, in chapter 3, verse 27. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. And right now, your religious mind is baptized. So when I, was water, when I went down in the water, no, that word baptism does not, it, it, it means to be dunked. It means to be submerged. It means to be sowed. You, you were put down into something. And this is saying that you were put down into what? Christ. And when you were put down into Christ, you come up clothed in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It, 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 we got need to stop identifying who we are in our flesh. And start identifying ourselves in Christ. We sung the song today. That he defines us. He gives us our identity. But we need to start believing it. He defines us. He gives us our identity. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're Asian. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're male. It doesn't matter if you're female. You have one identity, and that is in Christ Jesus. You are identical to him. It doesn't matter if you're free. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter any of those things. No matter what you identified yourself with in the past, get it out of your mind. That's not you anymore. You're in Christ Jesus. And you have all the promises of God in him. And they find their yes and their amen in Christ Jesus. So many people are wasting prayers, praying, God, is it your will? Will you please bless me? Will you do this? Will you do that? If it's a promise in the word of God, we already have God's heart on that situation. We already have God's decision on those situations. The decision found their yes and their amen in Christ Jesus. There is nothing limiting you in the kingdom of God. The only thing that's limiting us is our stinking thinking, our unrenewed mind, our idolatry, because we think that we are God instead of Jesus being God. We think we have to do it. The biggest God that we worship is ourself. And that doesn't mean, I'm not talking about just prideful people. The biggest form of pride is insecurity. The biggest form of pride is feeling like you're inadequate. The biggest form of pride is, is, is like, I can't do nothing. I'll never succeed. I'll never amount to anything. That's total self-centeredness. You're totally focused on yourself. I feel like I'm being really, uh, I'm not angry or nothing. <laughs> but this is real. This is real. This is exciting. I want you to see yourself the way God sees you. 
Do you know that, where are we? Yeah, I read the whole thing. Do you know even, even the hope of the resurrection of the dead is built on the foundation of sowing and reaping? Look what Paul tells, tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? You fool. See? See, if we don't understand the principle of sowing and reaping, if we don't understand what God, the, what God has put woven into the fabric of humanity, Paul says you're a fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be. So in other words, when you sow a seed, it doesn't come up looking like that seed. Right? See, you died in Christ. And when you came out, when you, when you came resurrected in him, when you were born again in him, you don't look like what was sown. You look like Jesus. But this is talking about our earthly suit, our meat suit, you know, our, the, the body. He says, you fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. Verse 42. So also it, it, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. That's interesting, isn't it? That natural things are just a mirror of the spiritual? Verse 45. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, which is who? Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly, but the second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have been born, have borne the image of the earthly, we also bear the image of the heavenly. That's amazing. When we are resurrected from the dead, we will just be, we will have heavenly bodies like everyone that lives in heaven. We will no longer be natural. We will no longer be weak. We will no longer be in corruption. We will be in perfection. What a blessed hope, huh? Why should we fear death? This, this sounds pretty exciting to me. So we see there, there is a principle in Scripture 
and in the world of sowing and reaping. Jesus said that sowing and reaping even works in our relationship with others. Did you know that? In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, it says, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Wow. How many people don't have that view of God? Jesus says that God is kind to even evil and ungrateful men. And do you know who are some of the most evil and ungrateful men? Those that know the truth but deny the power thereof. Man, Lord. Verse 36. Be merciful just as your, heavenly, your, your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not, be, will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. See, this isn't talking about your relationship with God. This is talking about your relationship with one another. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by the, your standard, your measure, it will be measured to you in return. If you don't have any friends, guess what? You're not a friend. People that are friendly have friends. It's interesting that those that, that, that feel like they're neglected and, and no one talks to them and wants nothing to, you know, just thinks, feels like an outcast. They themselves do the very thing that they're accusing of others of. They don't go up and say hello. They don't go up and start a conversation. They don't inv invite somebody to dinner. They don't do the things that they're judging others for. In your relationships, in your marriage, with your kids, with all these things. In the workplace. Are you doing what Jesus said to do here? Are you loving your enemies? Are you blessing people? Are you not judging people, but giving them the benefit of the doubt? Do you pardon people when they misuse you and treat you wrong and speak evil about you? You know people like this that actually do this stuff, don't you? They're great people. They're joyful people. They're people that we envy. They're just nice people, good people. And those are the type of people when things go wrong in their life, for some reason, everybody shows up to help them. Because they sowed kindness. They sowed goodness. They sowed the fruit of the Spirit into everybody else's life. And they come back and they pour out a blessing into their laps, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So what standard of measure 
are you measuring today? Because you're getting the exact same thing back. Sowing and reaping will affect every aspect of your life. Your words are seeds. You have exactly what you said. You said you couldn't do it, and guess what? You can't. But if you sow words of, of faith, I can. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am well able. I'm well equipped. There's nothing that can stop me. The words that you speak are seeds. And you're reaping, you're eating the harvest thereof. Our lives are truly the harvest of what we have sown. What we've sown to the body, what we have sown to the soul, and what we have sown to the spirit. And we want to blame God for our situation. That's not to say that God won't do a miracle and give you a crop failure. Put some pestis or some Roundup over the whole field. And let's replow and plant some new seed. That's the good news of Jesus Christ is that he's merciful. And that in life we can always take a mulligan in Christ Jesus. You know what a mulligan is? See, it's, it's finally getting golf season again, so I can... A mulligan is when you hit a bad shot and everybody says, go ahead, take a mulligan. That means you get to hit again without it being a penalty on your scorecard. God gives multiple mulligans in life. But these are principles. These are laws. These are things that God has put in the earth. And we need to look at our own lives and determine what we've been sowing. So what about money? Because this is supposed to be a series on money. I thought you'd never ask. Right? You've been waiting. So you were a grace church. And we're going to touch on a lot of stuff here. Um, but where's the grace in, in our giving? See? How do, how, do we, how do we view sowing and reaping through the lens of grace and the finished work of the cross? Is it transactional? Like trying to buy a blessing from God? A lot of people think that way. A lot of people think when they give, they're buying a blessing from God. They think that it's a transaction between you and God. I mean... If it was, doesn't that invalidate the free gift of grace? In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So what is bountifully sowing? What is it? Does it mean giving a lot? Those that really give a lot, lot of money, they're going to reap a lot of money. Is that the way the kingdom of God works? What is bountifully? Well, it depends. 
Look what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. It says, and he sat down opposite of the treasury and began observing how the people were putting their money into the treasury. He was looking at how people were putting their money into the treasury. Not so much what they were putting in there. He was looking at the attitude how people were putting their money in the treasury. And he began observing how people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which amounted to a cent. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor woman put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. What is bountiful giving? Amen. For they all put in of their surplus, but she out of her poverty, but in all she, she put in all she owned, and she, oh my goodness, all she had to live on. What triggered Jesus' response? I mean, surely this woman couldn't have been the only, the only poor person that was putting money into the treasury that day, right? Something caught Jesus' eye. Something caused Jesus to stop everything, call his disciples over, and use this woman as an example. Could it be that God loves a cheerful giver? And if God loves a cheerful giver, maybe Jesus does too. Here's this woman in her lack. Here's this woman with her two small copper coins. But she had an attitude of faith, an attitude of trust, an attitude of hope, an attitude of knowing who her provider was. And she was cheerful, exciting, excited to do so. Could it have been her attitude that she gave willingly and cheerfully? See, in the kingdom, bountiful giving is not in an amount, but an attitude. A heart that is full of faith, rejoicing and trusting in the provider, and is, is, so, is sowing cheerfully with a heart full not only of gratitude, but expectancy. Do you think our expectancy makes God happy? Do you think God longs for us to expect him to meet our needs? Yes. And again, we can use an earthly example. A father, if, you're, if your children think they can't expect anything from you, if your children think that you're no good, if a children think that I, we're not even going to bother asking dad because he's always going to say no. That makes any father feel inadequate. It makes any father feel like they're not a good father. But when those kids, 
If those same kids, your same kids came up to you and asked for the world, expecting, my dad can do anything. That's why I tell my kids all the time, if you learn to ask the right way, there is nothing that I wouldn't do for you. No matter what it took. God wants us to be expectant. God wants us to be expectant in our giving. God wants to be our provider. You know, Jesus got inner, gets energized by having things taken from him. Do you know that? When Jesus was at the woman in the well, he was weary, right? He was worry, weary, and he sent his disciples away to get something to eat. And here comes the woman at the well. And in Jesus' humanity, in his weariness, he starts ministering to this woman, and she starts taking from Jesus. And when the disciples come back, they are surprised that Jesus is doing so well. God, see, with, with humanity, with humans, we have lack when we give in humanity. That's in our mindset. If we exert energy, if we have to do something for other people, when we have to do those types of things, it's taking from us. But in God, when you take from him, he is the provider, and he gets excited about it. He is energized by you taking from him. And if we can learn to give out of us our time, our money, our strength, our abilities, working in the grace of God and allow and leaning and resting in God, then nothing can be taken from us either. We can get energized and charged in our giving. So this woman had an attitude. She may have been only given two small coins, but God said that, or Jesus said that she gave more than all of them because there was an expectancy, there was cheerfulness, there was a willingness. She wasn't doing it out of obligation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, continuing, it says, Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. See, verse 7 says that we have to have a plan in our heart on what we're going to give. We have to have a plan on what we're going to give. We have to purpose in our heart how we're going to give. Do you, have you done that? Have you purposed in your heart? See, there's no sorrow once you purpose it, once you designate it, once, once you have it in your heart that, that this is what I'm going to do. You can have expectancy then. You can have willingness. You can be cheerful and rejoicing in your giving. See, you should never feel pressured. And I think we do everything possible in, 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 in this place to make people feel 
like they're not being pressured or manipulated. But there's lots of experiences where you're, where you're forced to give that you do feel pressured. You ever get in a checkout line and you're checking out and you got a whole line of people there and they said, do you want to give, give a dollar to such and such cause? Do you want to round up your change to such and such cause? All of a sudden you feel pressure to give. I hate that. I hate that. I wasn't planning on giving right then. I didn't have time to think about it. I didn't have time to pray about it. I don't know nothing about the organization or anything about it. But I feel pressure to give. Why? Because we've got all these people there. Right? You're walking up to every single store at Christmas time, and there's the bell ringer. Now I had to prepare my heart for that and, and prepare to, to give at Christmas time to those bell ringers because I didn't like feeling pressured to give. See, it doesn't matter if I gave $50,000 away that year. It doesn't matter what I get, have given away. They don't know that. But that $1 makes me feel like I'm not a giver. You, you see how... When, don't feel obligated to give in those situations unless you planned it. Don't feel bad if you don't give in every offering, if you didn't plan it. Don't give if you feel pressure. Don't give if you feel manipulated. What kind of, what kind of farmer just goes out and nilly-willies? What did I come up with that? nilly <laughs> Just throws seed everywhere. No, he's purposed in his heart. This is my field. These are my rows. This is where I'm planting my seed. We should plant it out in our heart, expecting to see a harvest. Why does the farmer do that? Why does he prepare and know where he's going to plant a seed? Because he expects to see a harvest. He expects to see a harvest. Because you're, you are giving into good ground, and if you sow properly, it multiplies and produces a harvest. When you sow this way, it will produce joy and excitement. And that's what God loves. Verse 8 says that when we give this way, it produces God's grace in our giving. In other words, God energizes our seed to produce a harvest. So where is the grace in giving? In the seed. God has graced, he has energized, he has empowered all seed. Right? The, the, the farmer, when he plants that ear of corn, he didn't give that seed life. He didn't give it the ability to produce a harvest, did he? That's God's grace. God graced the seed to produce. God empowered, he energizes the seed to produce. Just as a farmer plants seed into the ground and it produces, even though he does not know how, in like manner, God grace in our life, God's grace in our life in the seed, God's grace is the life in the seed to bring about the harvest producing an abundance in our lives. 
The seed has the life or the grace to produce the harvest. See, God says that seed produces in like manner. And there is a grace in your sowing. There's a grace in your giving. Paul is, is very, he's laying this out trying to explain to people that your giving is just like sowing a seed. And God supernaturally empowers your giving to produce a harvest. So you should purpose in your heart how you give and expect God to produce the harvest. We sow, when we sow, we give God permission to work in our finances. Just the same way as when a farmer sows in the earth, we give God, he gives God because God is the, the maker of these seeds. He, he put these principles and these laws into, into the seed. He's trusting the maker to produce the harvest. And when we do that, when, when a farmer sows a seed, he's giving that principle an opportunity to work. If he was to keep all those seeds in a bag, guess what? It would never grow. It would never produce a harvest. When a farmer sows a field, what does it produce? It produces a harvest, right? Some of what the farmer harvests, he saves. Right? He saves the seed for next year to sow again. And some he eats. But it all starts with seed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Man, time flies. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through, through us is producing thanksgiving to God. When we produce in our hearts, when we purpose in our hearts to sow, we become like a farmer, and God gives us seed to sow. That's one thing most people have to purpose in their hearts. Most of you have never determined that you're going to be a sower. So why would God give seed to someone that's not going to sow? Right? Some of the seed is used to meet our needs, to eat and pay our bills. Some of it's to be sown, to give into the kingdom. But only, the one, only one can multiply and produce a harvest. The seed which is sown. The widow, we discussed earlier, earlier, had two coins. Jesus said that her gift was more than them all, even though it was small. Notice that Jesus did not go back to the money box and dig her money out and give it back to her. The woman did not need her seed. She needed a harvest. If we don't have enough money to meet our needs, we may not be looking at God's provision for our needs. We may be looking at our seed. It's interesting that when people say, well, I don't have enough to live on. Well, if you don't have enough to live on, what, di what difference does it make if you sow it or not? 
You already said you don't have enough. The reason why I can speak boldly like this is because I believe this. You know, Jesus was feeding the 5,000. Came from someone that said that they didn't have enough. We don't have enough. All we have is some, a couple loaves of bread and some fish. A boy's small lunch. I'm sure the disciples were hungry. They were there all day long too with Jesus. And Jesus said what? Bring them to me. And he blessed them. And he fed a multitude. And they took up 12 baskets afterwards. One for each of those faithless disciples. <laughs> That's a harvest. Do you think the disciples... Failed to understand what he did. I mean, later later on, when they're going to the other side, other side of the of, of the uh, the uh, lake, they started arguing with one another because no one had brought bread. And Jesus used this as an example of him being the provider. Do you eat your seed? God gives seed to the sower and bread for food. What comes first in the natural? Seed comes first. Without seed, there can be no harvest, which we can sell, eat, and sow again. In the same, it's the same way for us. If we eat the seed God gives us, we short-circuit the principle. We won't have to sow, and therefore we won't see a harvest. Sometimes we consume our seed that was meant to be sown. And then we get mad that we can't find this non-existence, existing harvest. How many Christians are like that? They get mad at God for not providing when they had not purposed in their heart what is to be eaten and what is to be sown. And then the only thing that produces a harvest is that which has been sown. And then they get mad at God because they have no harvest. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. See, there's wisdom here to consider, though. We should never have to choose between sowing or eating. God supplies both. And you have to determine in your heart what is to be sown and what is to be eaten. When we manage our seed and purpose in our heart what is to be sown, God also promises when you give generously, you're going to reap generously. We're almost done. Seed or bread? We're just getting started on the spiritual side of money. And as you can see, that there is a principle. There is a principle that God has woven into every aspect of creation. And it's the principle of seed time and harvest. It's a principle of sowing and reaping. It's in everything. 
It's in natural things. It's in relational things. It's in spiritual things. And, it, and even when it comes to money, we see it in plain black and white. And we see it in the life of others. So if you're tired this morning of looking for non-existent harvest, I encourage you to spend some time with Jesus and ask the Lord, what part of what he has provided for you is seed and what part of what he has provided for you is for your consumption? Ask him to give you a revelation of the harvest he desires for you. See, most people, that's one of the things they don't have joy and excitement in their giving is because they, have, they haven't asked God to give them, give them a vision of where he wants to take them. You think a farmer, when he plants all that seed, does he look out there and say, man, look at all that seed that just went to waste? No, he's, he's, he's visioning the end of summer. He's visioning the harvest. He's looking at all the increase that is coming. So a farmer is never, never, ever down in the dumps when he's sowing his seed. Why? Because he has a vision of what is to come. You need to spend some time with Jesus and get, and get a vision of what, where God wants to take you. You've got to get a vision of the harvest. Ask him to give you a vision. And then trust him to grace and empower the seed that you sow to produce that harvest. Have expectancy. Amen? I mean, for, for, for some of you, this is redundant. Some of you know these principles already. Some of you might need a reminder of these principles. For other people, this might be brand new to you. But it's a principle. It's a law. It's something God has put into the fabric of his creation. And if things aren't working the way that you're doing them now, why not try it God's way? What do you got to lose? It's not working now. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you are Lord of the harvest. We thank you that you are a God that produces the grace for the seed to grow into abundance. So right now, Lord, we thank you that you are working in the hearts and the minds of your people. We ask that you give us a revelation of the harvest that you want for our life. You're giving us a revelation of a harvest that produces not only for us, but for our children's children. That we are a blessed people in Christ Jesus. That all the promises of God find their yes and amen. So we just ask that those promises would start working in our lives because of faith in Jesus Christ. That we would sow friendship into the, into the world, that we would sow the fruit of the Spirit, that we would forgive, that we would not judge, that we would not hold, hold um, back forgiveness and pardons to people, that everything that we do, we would understand it's a seed, and it's producing in our life, Lord. 
Heavenly Father, right now, there's some people that need a crop harvest. That they've been speaking negatively over their marriage. They've been speaking negatively over their life. That their identity is not in Christ, but it's in the natural man. And we ask that as they purpose in their heart to sow their life differently, that you will lead them and guide them, that you would speak to them, that they would cut themselves off. They would cut off the root that is holding them back from becoming everything that God, that you intended for them to be. That they would start seeing themselves as a child of God and that they would grow up in Christ into full maturity as children of the Most High God. We love you. We praise you. And we look forward to the harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Amen. Be blessed. Have an awesome week. Remember, you are spheres of influence everywhere you go. Take in the kingdom of God. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.